Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today I'm pleased to be joined by Reverend Dr. Christopher Benick. Chris is a follower of Jesus Christ, a pastor, husband, and father. He's also a global emerging tech and theology expert who is internationally known for his social and religious analysis and commentary. He is widely recognized as a techno-theologian, futurist, ethicist, Christian transhumanist, public speaker, writer, and tech pastor. He's the leading clergy expert regarding artificial intelligence in the world. So let's welcome Chris to the show. Chris, what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm a pastor in, in Miami, Florida. I'm a pastor at First Miami Presbyterian Church here, and I also am uh, the pastor and CEO of Co-Creators, uh, which is our motto is uh, better uh, people, better tech, better world, and uh, it's a organization that deals with the intersection of faith and technology, and we have a bunch of initiatives that are coming out of that, and I think we'll talk about some of those and, uh, uh, coming up. So, uh. Awesome. Uh, tell, tell us about your kind of your journey of faith, what it's looked like, uh, how you came to Christ, and what that looks like today. Sure. So uh, I didn't grow up in the church at all, really. Uh, I went to funerals and weddings. That was about the my most interaction. I became a Christian late in, uh, late in college, actually. Uh, and I, uh, I went to, uh, a, a church that I went with a girl, probably with no good intentions. Uh, and, uh, she drug me there and long story short, it didn't work out with the girl, but it worked out with the church. And, uh, and then I was in an honors program, and uh, I I was I grew up in kind of meager settings, and uh, I was going to school to be a lawyer because lawyers made money, and I thought that's the way I'd get out of where I was living in Northeast Ohio, and uh, because there just wasn't a lot of economic opportunity there, and uh, and so I went and talked to these to these folks who were assigned to me as mentors, and they happened to both be theologians uh, who focused on ethics, which I didn't even know what a theologian was at the time. And they sat me down and they said, they said, Chris, tell me about you, and I did. And they said, Chris, you don't wanna be a lawyer, you wanna be a pastor, you just don't know it yet, you need to go to seminary. And I didn't even know there were Protestant seminaries, so uh, it, it, this is telling you how raw I was. My response was, "Well, I don't want to be celibate," and, <laughs> and they had a nice they had a nice laugh about that. And uh, and so they said they said, "Hey, um, and uh, we want you to look at a couple couple schools." And what I found out was one of those people was a guy named Gil Mylander, who's a professor of Valparaiso. And he was on George Bush Sr.'s Bioethic Advisory hmm. uh, Commission. And he had been a student uh, of a guy named Max Stackhouse, uh, who was a professor. Max is now deceased, but he was a professor at Princeton. And I went uh, to Princeton Seminary, and Matt, uh, Max sat me down and said, tell me about yourself. And I didn't. The only thing he said was, you sound like a Princeton man to me. I'll see you next fall. 
And sure enough, the following summer, I was there for Intro Greek. And so uh, now I didn't know anything when I went to Princeton Seminary. My roommate was like fifth generation Princeton pastor. Uh, and, you know, I had read like, you know, one or two books of the Bible. Uh, I remember my first Old Testament uh, class, uh, the professor made a joke about Abraham and Isaac and everyone laughed and I don't, e I didn't even know who they were. Uh, and so it was a pretty steep, I was, I was on my knees praying, uh, for all sorts of things that first year. And it was a pretty steep learning curve. Uh, but, uh, but I did really well in ethics. Uh, I ended up winning the prize, uh, for religion society there, uh, by my senior year. And I did an additional year, uh, uh and so I came out, I, and in the midst of that, I had, I, had, I had been baptized in a church of Christ. They didn't really, they said you could go back to Bible school. I had, uh, if you want to become a pastor, and I had worked like 70 hours a week on top of going to school because I just didn't have any money. And I was pretty sure God didn't want me to do that again. Uh, and so, uh, and you know, if you get into Princeton, they pay your tuition. And uh, that seemed like a far better road. And so, um, so, so I, but I really went through a discernment process and by the end of it, I felt called to be part of the PCUSA, which is, uh, where I'm in. I was not ready to be ordained when I came, when I was finished with my, uh, uh, second masters there. Uh, but I went into a church and I went back to rural Ohio, a place I never thought I'd be. Uh, I was there for seven years, uh, and I kind of checked the boxes I needed to check uh, I was teaching some college philosophy and ethics classes kind of on the side. I became the associate pastor of that church, built great ministry there. Uh, I received a call to uh, a church in Hilton Head, South Carolina, uh, where I served as an associate, but kind of like an almost like an executive pastor for a while there. Uh, I then came to, uh, that was a tough call. I, I then came to Fort Lauderdale. Uh, kind of trying to be like the third string pastor and uh, a bunch of things happened and I ended up being the person leading them through a transitional time. Um, and, and then while I was there, uh, I did a doctorate of ministry that focused on theology and science. And that's kind of where I got into this emerging tech space. And uh, I got a I had somebody from Gizmodo call and asked me about artificial intelligence and um, they they said, what do I think about AI and faith? And I said something to the effect of, I don't think that Christ's redemptive purposes are necessarily limited to human beings. And I thought that was a very straightforward statement because, you know, it talks about the rocks crying out and all of creation, right? But, but that article got highlighted in Gizmodo. And the very next day, I was on the front of the tech page uh, with Bill Gates, Elon Musk, uh, and Stephen Hawking on the Daily Mail's tech page with a picture of me. And it just kind of blew up after that. And so I did a big press blitz. And uh, what was interesting about all that was that uh, this is where the idea for co-creators came about because people started seeing there is this guy talking about artificial, and this is years and years ago now, uh, but uh, some there was a person talking about emerging tech and faith and they just had not heard of that and so people were calling me kind of with really weird requests like they would say i'm in virtual reality or i'm in genetic engineering and my mom is a devout catholic what do you think if she was still on earth what do you think she'd think of this 
and they're asking these questions of ultimate meaning and i realized wow there's a real like ministry here and then i got people who were calling and saying uh i have an entrepreneurial idea that's in technology but i don't know that the church has thought about these things can you help me to think through these things uh, and so, uh, so when I finished up at first Fort Lauderdale, uh, I, I got some startup funding and I started co-creators and I did, I was doing that and I was speaking all over the world and advising politicians and doing all sorts of stuff. And, uh, and, uh, then I received a call to come here, uh, to first Miami and I've been serving here for a couple years and doing co-creators, uh, with, with that. Uh, and, and so just have a whole plethora of things going on, but, but that, that's kind of been my walk. It's kind of God has always kind of grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, hey, keep up. And uh, and so I've, I'm just running to try to keep up with what God's doing. So. I love it. I'm a, I'm a hustler, too, who likes to do too much. Um, and I, I yeah, like I, I think that's a great thing, though. I mean, I think that's where creativity is comes out of. I, pe- I think people under they undervalue juggling a lot of things. Uh, you know, they they the in tech they say fail fast right uh in in the church our motto tends to be fail really really painfully slowly uh yeah right so so instead like i've tried to bring that tech piece in and say how do we how do we just identify where we're called and and you know uh make educated intentional moves to success towards success but uh you know but not get stuck either that we got to ride that thing all the way to the bottom if it's not working right boy that's we could spend another 40 minutes talking about that um let's talk tell me or tell our listeners real quick uh spiritual practices that you've developed or might recommend others uh i I, these are kind of simple things but um there's a group called adventures and mission that's uh uh, they do mission trips all over they were the largest short-term mission group uh they're not a mainline group they're a, like a non-denominational group or something uh but they really they really focus on listening prayer uh and for me that's been something that's been really important to me is um i, I find so much when we pray we we are always asking and we're not listening uh and so for me creating times and spaces where i am intentional about that so i walk every day uh, I made a kind of a commitment that I walk 10,000 steps a day. Uh, so I go out and that, that, you know, takes me more than an hour to do. Uh, but I, but I use that time as kind of a reflective and a meditative time, uh, to do that. Um, and, and so kind of then developing that to where you're not just listening during that time, but where you're trying to be intentional about hearing God in whatever situation you're in, uh, and then being pre- being present in that, you know, being present in the moment with what God may be doing. Uh, and so that's, that's, be, that's a intentional practice. It's not like, uh, you're not going to, uh, necessarily read a bunch of books about that. Uh, but it's something I've learned. Um, I've learned over time how to, I think, cultivate that in my own life. And then, you know, just regularly engaging in the scriptures and prayer, um, you know, and then, and then the, you know, kind of the, the things that are, pastors have the privilege of being involved with and being part of the church because you're in fellowship and community and, and, and those kind of things. And even though we're in kind of a different role where we don't experience those the same way as other people do, uh, I still get a lot of joy in that. Um, and, and for me, kind of the creative process of technology, uh, has, has, is a spiritual practice for me. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is I think, 
you know, we always talk about the Trinitarian formula of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but but I like to think about how are we made in the image of a Creator God, uh, and you know, a, a God that created the cosmos, and what does it mean for us to walk in the creative ways of of a God uh, in that way? And I think that's a important. You know, we we don't talk about. Um, we we stick to our old verbiage and it kind of limits our you know what's it mean to to uh to model after a, rede a de redeemer god what's it mean to walk uh in the ways uh or not even walk so much but follow in the ways of a spirit god in a digital age right i, I mean i think these are like big things that we need to think about you know and so th those have kind of been some of my basics Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, let me let me take a break here real quick to, to pay the bills, and we'll come back. Okay, we're back with uh, Reverend Dr. Chris Benick. So uh, we're here today to talk about tech and theology, and I'm really excited, Chris, to kind of like just pick your brain here. So first, tell us what it means to be a techno-theologian. Yeah, so I th we... The great thing about technology is you kind of get to define what you are because people aren't really sure what that means. And and when you're talking about emerging spaces, um, you know, it's really kind of talking about these fundamental questions about who are we are. And as Christians, we're made in the image of God. And I just kind of talked about uh, before the break, um, you know, what does it mean to be made in the image of a creator, redeemer, uh, or a spirit God in a digital realm? And I and I think so. So as as we think about that, it, it really focuses us to think about how do we understand reality, and and part of the way and the thing that's kind of been popularized uh, through some of my work is, uh, you know, I I kind of did this from a perspective of artificial intelligence, uh, and so what I did was. Um, I thought, well, you know, from God's perspective, what is humanity? Um, and and I would contend that we are God's AI. And what I mean by that is uh, we're God's, I don't like the word artificial. I think that's a poor use of it. We, we use things, we use verbiage in emerging technology that doesn't actually define and it kind of limits. But uh, I like the, the word alternative uh, because, for example, my cat, uh, is a different kind of intelligence than I am, but my cat shows affection. It shows when it needs something, right? So it's an alternative intelligence. And so if you can kind of accept that general hermeneutic, uh, that would mean that all matter, everything we experience in, in the world is uh, divine technology, right? So things we call biological or natural, they're actually technological from that hermeneutic. And we're called to be uh caretakers stewards and i would go so far as to say co-creators like a child with a parent of that of of creation uh or technology divine technology and i would say our thinking about that means that we're techno theologians insofar as we think about that right uh and so it's a different hermeneutic but i think it's one that's applicable uh to our modern emerging technological age i love it i think that's great um, talk about what it means to be a Christian transhumanist. And you might need to just to kind of explain transhumanism for some too. Yeah. So, uh, transhumanism is the idea that, uh, we can modify ourselves using technology, uh, to become better versions of ourselves. And I'm giving a very general, cause depending on what transhumanist you talk to, it's different 
Uh, so uh, what I noticed was when I started learning about transhumanism, there's a lot of secular transhumanists that um, kind of had a Nietzschean will to power mentality uh, insofar as we're going to upgrade ourselves and be in charge or be the most powerful or whatever. And, and I said, well, look, I, I think there's validity to the fact that we use technology to upgrade ourselves. So uh, and what's fascinating to me is in congregations, the people who get this the most tend to be people who are like 75 and older. Uh, because they've had artificial hips, they've had new knees, they've had pacemakers put in, uh, people who've had LASIK eye surgery. LASIK eye surgery is a, is a modification to your body. Uh, like, for example, Tiger Woods is legal, was legally blind. He had LASIK eye surgery that gave him 2015 vision in a profession that requires, you know, precise vision. Right. And so, uh, so I don't think like, I don't think people have a basic you know, uh, they don't have a basic hang up with the idea of making ourselves better. If I could tell you we could eliminate cancer tomorrow, I don't think there'd be a whole bunch of people that would be like, don't eliminate cancer, right? Uh, uh, particularly in the age of COVID vaccines, right? We're, tr we're trying to like uh, protect ourselves and make ourselves better. Uh, the idea of Christian transhumanism from my perspective is how do we use technology as we evolve more fully into the image of God in which we were created uh, to be as we're redeemed into that image? And how do, how do we use technology in a way that benefits everybody? So it's a, it's a way that we, we uh, how are we prayerfully considerate that we don't leave people behind in that and that we're, we're inclusive of people in a way, uh, you know, that economic barriers uh, don't always seem to, you know, uh, include and things like that. And all in systems that we've created, right? Uh, an economic system, we've created that. Uh, we've created those things as a way, and, and Jesus talks about those things in the Bible uh, and doesn't demonize them. Actually, Jesus has a lot of things to say about how we should invest uh, and to make sure we get a good return, right? Uh, but but how do we think about how do we leverage those things in ways uh, that, that brings about the participatory redemptive purposes of Christ in the world. Uh, and so that so that's kind of a general. Now, if you get into it and you can go to the Christian Transhumanist uh, website, uh, you know, there are lots of conversations and depending on people's theological positions, they're all over the place on what they what they believe. Uh, be, and that's great because it's an emerging space. Uh, and uh, in starting those organizations, we didn't we didn't say, hey, we have all the answers. We said, here's a here's a way to formalize uh, intentionality and in having a conversation. Uh, and so, and so that's been very fruitful. There's been a couple tra Christian transhumanist conferences. Now, uh, we've, we've had scholars from all over the world that have been involved with the CTA. And, uh, uh, you know, we have some, we have some really great folks, uh, there that, that are helping to think through that, uh, that are cross-denominational, uh, and, and really willing to, uh, to think, think about these challenging issues, but exciting issues uh, for what it looks like to be the future of humanity. Yeah, it reminds me several years ago, several years ago when I was in Bible college, I remember we had to write a, we had to do it like a basic assignment for our, I think it was hermeneutics class. And like, you know, what is the Bible? What's the biblical principle about like a, a heart transfer? And I think, you know, early on there was some, I imagine at least there's some debate and this kind of gets into ethics, medical ethics, right? About what's the, um, how ethical is it to transfer, transplant body parts? Um, and, I, and I imagine like the same conversations are relevant here, uh, again, depending on your understanding of transhumanism, about how far 
you know, and I, I imagine many of the same conversations that were happening, I don't know, 50, 100 years ago, whenever transplants started becoming a thing of like, you know, playing God and, and, you know, messing with human, you know, the human body that I imagine it's the same conversations to some extent. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why kind of lead with the, the hermeneutic idea because part of it is if we understand we're supposed to be stewards or even co-creators like a like a child with their parent then then we we start to understand some of the 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 issues around that and how we should talk about those things and uh you know i i i think there should be you can have these conversations about big tech and censorship right now right i definitely think there need to be conversations about it because what we tend to do is we take a a product we run to market with it and we try to make as much money as we can as fast as we can and then we worry about the ethical com conversations later i think as you talk about medical thing i mean in the coronavirus a great example like hey uh this is a huge issue you know so we're going to cut some corners and now all of a sudden the johnson and johnson vaccine is sitting on the sidelines because they're like uh, maybe there's bigger issues we didn't think about so i think there's always a balance right and, and i would commend them for taking a break and saying hey okay this is only six people out of you know almost seven million but still we need to make sure we're not messing people up uh in the process on the, on the flip side of that uh i also think like when we think about our relationship to God, we we tend to think a very limited version. And I think that says more about how we think about ourselves than how God thinks about us. So uh, so like the example I give is I have a six-year-old, right? And uh, my six-year-old loves to color. And, uh, but I think if you were to sit down and objectively evaluate his coloring ability versus mine, uh, I think I'm a better color than he is because I, I've had, you know, 39 more years to, to practice than he has, right? So, but, but how does it change my relationship with him or my love for him or my authority and relationship to him if he becomes a better color than me? If he's a better color than me, then it doesn't change any of that. And actually, as his parent, I want him to become the best version he can be of himself. So in relationship to God, I think we always, we, we think, well, you know, because we know what we are, we think the worst scenario, but we don't think about in love and grace what the possibilities might be and how God is open to that because by virtue of who God is, we can't, we can't threaten that relationship by who we would become unless we separate ourselves from God. So as long as we're doing those things in God, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, it, it's not an issue. So I think that's when we think about what the potential of humanity is. We shouldn't get too freaked out by that. I think part of what we need to think about is like, you know, if you're doing a, if you're doing a valve transplant and you're taking a valve from a pig and you're putting it in a human, which is something that they do, it's like, well, what is our ethic regarding animals? Uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, that's a tricky thing. Uh, and, and I think a lot of folks would, we don't have an animal ethic, uh, on a lot of things. Uh, if you look at how chickens are handled, uh, on, it's pretty abhorrent. And I don't know, I mean, no matter whether you're for or against eating various meats, whatever, uh, I think anybody can look at that scenario and go, oh, is this the best caretaking role that we can do? You know what I mean? And I think, I think we have to push ourselves into those spaces if we're really going to live into what Christ calls us to be. Uh, and we have to say, well, are there better versions of it? So I, I stopped 
I always told people I was a hypocrite on this. I'm married to a Texan, uh, and so I, you know, I was a, a I loved eating a good steak, right? Uh, but I already knew I knew I was a hypocrite in that issue, and I stopped about a year and a half ago eating chicken uh, and and beef, uh, and and I did it for ethical reasons, uh, not because I you know, but but I also have hope in the technological promise of Impossible Burgers and things like that uh, uh, that are actually pretty good now, uh, and I think that those things you know it'll continue to get it's the first iteration meat right but it'll continue to get better to the point where i think it'll raise a question do we have to slaughter animals uh and and i think that's an ethical question that we need to get to at some point and we need to have a conversation and i think it leads into other questions when we start thinking about those beings as being alternative intelligence we need to start thinking about well what does that mean when it comes to you know, the rights of things that we might create in the future in the form of artificial intelligence that maybe is sentient uh, or has what we would define as being sentient. So, you know, the question becomes is if an AI comes to you and says, uh, you know, I'm a person, I recognize myself as having autonomy, I believe in God. At what point do you believe it or don't? Because I kind of take for granted that you're a real person, right? I, I, I just take that at face value, right? I don't really, I mean, what proof do I have aside from the fact that you're telling me uh, and you act that way, what, what do I have? So, you know, uh, and um, so, so I think those, be, those raise issues that we have to think about and we have to think about, um, you know, in comprehensive ways. I don't think we're gonna solve all those things overnight. I think they're emerging, but I do think there's a better way to do it than just rushing in. I think we should be prayerful about it. Uh, and I also don't want to limit technological growth. Uh, and I also think that there are things that might sound controversial, but in the Christian tradition, they really aren't. Like, for example, death is our enemy, right? Death is the enemy of, of humanity. Christ went to the cross to defeat death, right? And so we know that in Christ we have victory. So what happens if we're able to overcome death through technological manner, uh, some manner. Well, hold on. I want to ask you that question later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great, great. Well, I love the I love the the approach you're you're coming at here. A is like the the theological foundation, and then B, the emphasis on inclusivity in tech. Because I think, I mean, that's one thing that I've learned is technological advances. The the what's the word I'm thinking of. Um, the effects are not equally felt by everyone, and they disproportionately tend to affect, you know, others, uh, you know, disproportionately. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, so I really appreciate kind of that approach. Um, let me get into some like some some. They're, they're kind of like specific questions, but I think they'll kind of relate broadly speaking to what we're talking about. So you, like you mentioned about AI, and I've um, I was listening to an interview um, recently on Fresh Air um, NPR's podcast thing yeah. and it was an interview about ai and like how you know artificial artificial intelligence is being used to like write stories and you know replacing some of the things like a journalist might do and i was thinking about like you know there could come a day where ai is preaching a sermon or writing a sermon or writing theology and i'm curious like it sounds like if i'm hearing you you'd probably say that's fine so am i no, I, I'd actually say it's already happening. Oh, because you, because you've written sermons, 
and so have I. You really have so, okay, so you really have a broad view of this. Yeah. So so my thing is is like, look, I, I'm God's alternative intelligence, uh, and so uh, do I think there's a possibility if God could create me that God could use humanity to create some other version? I mean, sci-fi talks about this all the time. It's the Battlestar Galactica Cylon, right? Uh, it's it's only indistinguishable uh, because people know that there's a difference, and and how it comes into existence. Uh, comes through a technological way, but I, I think this is like a fascinating thing. I, you look at like uh, pro-life, pro-choice. Not saying where people are on it, but but I think at some point there'll be a day where the pro-life thing will be to actually have your baby outside of your body because it'll be able to be more technologically uh, controlled. And then eventually that'll probably be integrated back into the body if that's a function of the body that we want to have happen. But it may be where you have people who are pro-life who are saying we, we shouldn't have uh, the way we've traditionally had babies. We shouldn't have them that way, which is not what you'd hear now. Right. So so I just think tech changes the 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 parameters of how we talk about things. It evolves the way language evolves. And, and I think there's there's value in understanding that. And as as we look at AI, I think if we have a broad lens, then it's easier for us to come in and go, well, what's the contextual version? Is it that uh, my Roomba is going to be up in the pulpit anytime soon? No, because that's not the functionality of it, right? But, but, but is there a potential in the future? Yes. And, and I think more likely is what will happen is that tech will be integrated with people. So in, so at some point, I mean, Elon Musk is, this sounds super sci-fi to people, but it's not all that sci-fi. I mean, Elon Musk is working on neural net. Uh, and and it's, neural net right now is basic reparative function of the brain. Uh, but but the goal, his goal is just for people to be able to have matrix style uploads, right? So you would potentially be able to have all of the great sermon references ever in history. Uh, you'd, you'd be able to, you know, uh, if and if I could, you know, whether it's glasses or some kind of implants, uh, this sounds super sci-fi, but it's, I mean, if you look at tech, you carry your cell phone around now like it is an extension of self. Uh, and if there's a better version of that, you take it in a second. And so if you can all of a sudden look into your congregation uh, and you can analyze based on their facial expressions the way you're going to most be impactful in their spiritual life, you're going to do that because the goal is for them uh, is to connect them to God more fully uh, and to decrease separation from God. Uh, and so so that, so that would be our goal. So I think we'll just take advantage of that naturally in whatever form that comes into. And, and that's why I've suggested, I know people are super freaked out by things like facial recognition, but I think churches will use facial recognition. They say that as they're logging into their phone using facial recognition, which Apple and Google and everybody else is using their. I have mine turned off, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, but but it's like I think from a safety and a security thing, we we just have to get to this place where we understand that, um, you know, the iniquity of our heart is going to be exposed through technology. And part of what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to learn to love each other in grace and work with one another on the things that we all need help with that frankly lie in the secrets and the shadows now because we're shamed and embarrassed to deal with them. Do you uh, think this like privacy, cause that's so much of what the pushback is about AI or facial recognition and kind of data, um, customer data storage, whatever I'm trying to say 
is kind of the 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 argument you hear so often is privacy and misuse of, misuse of data. Do you think it comes down to just like this worry and shame about having our secrets exposed? Some of it. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, people can uh, take your privacy and wildly abuse it, too. So I think there's a data issue as far as securing and making sure justice is had for people. And that's a responsibility of us. Uh, because you don't want people to be profiled, you don't want people uh, to lose their identity, you don't want them to be stolen from. So the, the good boundaries uh, happens with David, uh, data privacy. Uh, on, on the flip side of that, I also think, I think we, some of it is we hide, and our concern comes out of our shame of what we're afraid would be exposed about. Like, and, and the reality is, think about this, if you were upgraded with Neuronet and all of a sudden people knew what you thought on a daily basis, good grief like the things that go through my head i don't want anyone seeing that stuff you know what i mean like uh and because i don't feel like i have uh i don't know that that always even reflects who i am in the moment right they're just the synapses going off and we've people have been experienced trauma or they've experienced other things that that shape them in certain ways and i think this is where we learn to have have to have grace with folks uh to to learn to understand that um we like to act like, and, and I, I'm an advocate for personal responsibility, but I also think we have to understand that we're in a larger system that impacts us. And, and tech is larger systems that will continue to impact us. And so we have to look at, you know, how do those, how do the, what's the virtue proposition underneath this technology that we're creating? Uh, what are the foundations? And that's where it gets scary, because if you start to say, well, what's the virtue proposition that Mark Zuckerberg is basing Facebook off of that literally uses ad revenue uh, and creates, you know, they, they use ad revenue in a way where they create posts that cause you to have uh, conflict oriented conversations so that you'll stay on their platform longer so they can make more money in ad revenue. Well, I don't know that that's a great virtue proposition. And I think those are things that need groups of people to say, well, how do we allow you to make money, which we shouldn't be opposed to because they're providing a service while also caring for people in the way that allows them to most fully limit live into being a human being? Well, so much is going through my head right now, but let me ask, uh, well, first I'd say I'm thinking about, we don't have to dive into this, but I'm reminding one of my favorite movies, iRobot. Um, a lot of what you're talking about that the AI having sentience because that's the big theme of that movie um, also that's like a classic that one line is somehow I told you so it just doesn't quite cut it <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> so you talked about the neural network and this is something I was going to ask you about is I haven't watched but I've heard there's shows that kind of touch on this theme of like uploading your consciousness to the cloud and certainly in, in traditional Christianity, we have these very traditional understandings of heaven and hell. Like, do we need to redefine, you know, our understanding of the afterlife, do you think, in, in light of what possibilities might arise about first, like, A, like cryogenics, and B, like, you know, uploading your consciousness to the cloud? Well, well, look, I, I think anybody who thinks that in any time soon they're going to upload their consciousness to the cloud, they need to go have some serious conversation with neuroscientists because that's just not a feasible thing. That is that is literally of sci-fi. And, and, and look, there are folks like Ray Kurzweil, who I have a lot of respect for the work that Ray has done on, on several things, but, but there are things that 
uh, in my perspective, come out of a desire that comes out of mourning and loss, like in Ray's case for his dad, uh, which which I totally empathize with. Uh, there are many people I've lost that I would love to be with and around now, uh, but but I don't think that technologically I can recreate them or whatever. Uh, it, it currently, uh, right? And and I don't think we're anywhere close to. We don't know enough about the brain. Uh, and that's why I said even Neuronet, you got the richest man in the world working on, you know, he's working on reparative functions. And the things they're highlighting with like monkeys being able to play video games with their brain, we were able to do that stuff in the 60s. So this is not like humans who were able to do that stuff. This is, it's just, you know, the meme is coming back around, right? Uh, you know, but do we need to redefine how we think about uh, the afterlife? Well, look, it, you know, predominant mainline Christianity has kind of had an escapism mentality for a long time on on theology, right? It's so it's like, um, you know, we, we're waiting for Jesus to come back so he can fix everything. And, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And so, uh, you know, uh, cut down the rainforest and it doesn't matter if we strip mine or whatever, because we're not staying here anyhow. Right. Ronald yeah. Reagan's interior secretary. And, and I think we just need to we need to say that is not the biblical message like and I think a participatory understanding is that we are called to be the caretakers and the stewards of we're not leaving uh, NT Wright talks about we're interlocking heaven and earth now what does that mean does if heaven is like in the cartoons they say I'm going to sit on a cloud and pe- play a harp for eternity that sounds like the worst nightmare ever uh, I mean, that is terrible, uh, you know, uh, and so so uh, I like to say, um, what can we learn about uh, an eschatological future by looking at the, re- the resurrection of Christ? And I think what's helpful in that is we see Jesus uh, who is physical still. So he's incarnational. Uh, he asks Thomas to touch him. Right. This is a question. He says, what do you I'm not a ghost. Look at me. Uh, you know, uh, he's still hungry. He still does certain things that, uh, you know, but he's also not quite like us either. Uh, they Disciples who've been with him for up to three years don't recognize him when they're face to face until he until ritual action happens. So he's he's shapeshifter Jesus. I mean, I don't know what you make of that. Right. Like there's there's like uh, he he sh- comes through locked doors and just pops into rooms uh, like, you know, one of the craziest things in the Bible, in my opinion, is Jesus has died, he's resurrected, and he pops into a room full of people uh, and essentially is looking for food. Uh, you know, if Jesus shows up in my kitchen one night looking for Oreos, I'm going to be freaked out. Like like that, you know, so you can understand why they're freaked out. So there's this Jesus, he's kind of like us, but he's still different uh, in some ways. He's like Jesus 2.0. And I think what that is, is that's an emerging tech thing. I think uh, if we look at from a hermeneutic of technology, I would say the eschaton is technological. We just don't have a, a good sense of what the extent of possibility is with that technology. We're constantly learning about it. We're learning about what it means at the quantum level and whether there's levels, you know, interdimensionally and and you know and scientists would affirm all of that i don't think anybody who's on kind of you know in cosmology or they're you know in in quantum level they're they're not going to deny that there are things that are i mean they they call them spooky uh because they don't know how they they act so 
So I think as we think about those things, yeah, we need to stop thinking about, you know, I, I like to challenge congregations to say, what do you envision to be heaven like? And, and when we talk about those things, how much of that is our projection uh, versus what we actually see happening and what we read in the scriptures that heaven will be like? And, and how do we see, you know, when you talk about justice happening, what does that mean technologically? And if we start to look at everything, everything as technology, well, then what does it mean? Um, you know, and so that means if we're present in the moment and we're kind of looking at our own spiritual disciplines and things, we start to say, okay, so uh, how, how is it that my Netflix watching aids to the purpose of justice? Uh, how do we start to, you know, we start to self-evaluate and actually say, well, what am I made for and how can I most fully live into being who I am? Uh, and this starts to over time shape us and form us uh, in ways where we can start to see because it's not about where we're going. It's part of it's about where we are and what we will become and what Christ will form us into. Uh, and, and then the other thing is, and this comes back to that death question, is it's like, Early Christians thought that Jesus was going to return and they weren't going to die. Uh, they they thought that, you know, and so in a guy like Ray Kurzweil talks about the singularity happening. And, you know, this is essentially the idea that we create something smarter than us and then it creates something smarter than it. And then that happens eventually so fast that instead of just kind of going on a slope, it just rockets into and they borrow this uh this phrase from physics, singularity, uh, you know, to to say, we don't know what that'll mean. It'll happen in an exponential period. Well, how do we know that there's not some kind of singularity event that brings about the eschaton? Uh, and that there might be, and maybe not you and I, or maybe not our children, but maybe our children's children or our children's children's children, uh, maybe they don't have to die to bring about Christ's redemptive purposes on earth. And maybe that can be part of the possibility of what Christ has in the redemption of creation. And, and I think those are exciting things for her to think of because think about how quickly we developed a, a COVID vaccination. What if the world's resources, uh, we took that and we applied it to death and we said, okay, so here are the top things that kill people. Uh, we want to take heart disease and cancer off off the list, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to put exponential amount of money into this until we take out that issue. Think about what that would do for humanity uh, in general, and all of the scientific breakthroughs that would probably come through as we push towards those kind of things. And I think those those are the things that we need to to be looking at as we as we think about what it means to be human, because I think, again, we don't have to feel like we're in competition with God and, you know, oh no, I became too good of a colorer. You know what I mean? God's not threatened by that. Uh, I don't think God's threatened by that at all. The question is, is are we being prayerful and mindful? Are we, are we living into the commandments that God has put before us uh, as we do that? Or are we doing it just out of our, you know, own desire to be little G gods? And, and if we're doing it in, in that, then that's idolatry, and God tells us not to do that. But if we're doing it living into the fullness of who we're created to be in the image of God, uh, then, then it's a different thing. Uh, and certainly, I think what humans will look like, you know, a thousand years from now 
may seem godlike to what we experience as human beings now. You know what I mean? But if they're within the framework of Christ, it'll be different. And wouldn't we expect, wouldn't you expect your eschatological version of yourself to be more godly than your current version? Isn't kind of that the purpose, right? Like, like so, so it's like that. I don't think that's a big theological leap, uh, frankly. I just think it's a pivot to understand how we fit with technology in this space. Uh, I'm thinking too about another sci-fi movie. I haven't watched the whole series set, but uh, I've always been fascinated by the story of um, Terminator. So when you talk about the singularity, I don't know if they use that word in that. Do they use the word singularity? Um, but Skynet... I don't know if it was just popularized with Skynet. Yeah, so obviously the premise of that series is that Skynet becomes whatever, sentient or whatever word, and basically just oppresses and kills humanity. Um, what kind of assurances do we have? <laughs> well, look, I mean... I mean, the reality is, is you have the assurance that Christ died on the cross and that the victory has already been achieved, right? So it doesn't say there will be no suffering in between. And actually, if you read Revelation, depending on how your interpretation is, some pretty bad stuff could happen in between there, right? But but the thing is, and what I would say to you is, look, tech, um, I'm not an early tech. I'm like, I speak about emerging tech everywhere, like, and advise people and do all sorts of stuff with it. But I, the first thing I tell them is I'm not an early adopter on a lot of things. And here's why, because it's got bugs. Uh, so when the new iPhone comes out, I'm not one of these people that's going to be standing in line for the new iPhone. I'm going to let the 15 year olds that want to go and burn 800 bucks, go burn it and play with it for three months because they're going to, they have the time to get through all the, the things that are wrong with it. And Apple will do the upgrades. So by the time I buy it in nine months or whenever my current phone dies, right? Uh, because I'm trying to be a good steward of my resources and I don't need the newest, hottest thing. It needs to meet my current need, right? By the time I get it, I get a better product. I think when tech comes out, uh, VR is a good example of this. Uh, VR, we're on the very front end of tech, uh, the tech of VR. It's clunky, it's awkward. A lot of people don't like it. And it's only now that people, because uh, things like the uh, the Qu Oculus Quest 2 are be at a cheaper price point, which I think Facebook's probably losing money because they're trying to popularize VR, uh, and 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 your and your wireless now, I think that's why it's popularizing because it's becoming user friendly. And so you know, as we as we look at some of those things, I, I think part of what it does is it 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 pivots our understanding of, of technology and how things will come about. Uh, and, and I think we don't need to, we don't need to be anxious about that. I think we just need to, we need to keep pushing, but be prayerful in that pushing. We don't need to be fearful, uh, but we, we need to continue to develop, you know, develop those things as, as we go. Uh, but we also need to recognize that there may be things where tech is used for bad. Uh, and this is why with facial recognition, people talk about it. We shouldn't talk about it from a perspective of fear, though. We should talk about it from a perspective of how do we serve the most people and be the most helpful. And the difference, I think, in that is the world would love to get us to engage in conflict methodology. And I don't need to. And the reason they do that is exactly how Facebook's making money off of you. It's, that, it's for that reason. That's why the nightly news phrases everything. Uh, when I was a kid, not everything was a drama. Uh, it wasn't all a problem. Uh, you know, the news was a different thing. 
but now it is. And now this is why you got clickbait articles and ads and all sorts of stuff because, you know, and I have no, again, I have no problem. I live and work in the finance district in Miami. I have no problem with people making money. I think that's a good thing. I think the Bible calls us uh, to a justice-centered principle around being good stewards of finances. Uh, that being said, I also think that that we've created a conflict methodology with people that's unnecessary and unhelpful. And I think the church has a lot to say about how we get through that, uh, as opposed to leading into conflict methodology with people, which frankly, uh, many churches, uh, particularly fundamentalist churches, tend to lean on that model uh, to, to remain relevant. Uh, in their mind, because they think that if, uh, but but we have to be wise enough as humans to say, you know what, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to get caught up into that issue, uh, because if it's a hot button issue, the thing that I really need is I need to see the person on the other side of the issue and what the pain point is for them and and how this is impacting them, and then I need to figure out how together in community do we actually address that the issue that's in question. Uh, so so I think that I think that's do we have to worry about those scenarios. Um, I think Elon Musk was worried about it. I think Elon Musk was worried about it. I, I know he was because he literally go look up Elon Musk. A couple years back, he was going around. He went to all the he went to the governor's conference in the United States and tried to tell governors that we need to have AI regulation. I know this because I was involved with some uh, with a with another country. I helped them to come up with some of their AI uh, regulations and and safeguards and. And Elon Musk was running around saying, we need to do something, we need to do something. And they didn't listen. And SpaceX came out of this because Elon said, we, we're going to destroy this world and AI is going to take over. So we need to have another habitable place we can go to. Now, the folly in his argument is, uh, is that if they're smart enough to kill us here, they're smart enough to follow us there and kill us too. That's the thing. The difference is, is I have a far more optimistic view of this because I have hope in Christ. Uh, I know how the story ends, largely speaking. Uh, and so I'm not going to fear the end result because I believe and my faith tells me that Christ will ultimately have the victory. Uh, so, you know, if there's a Terminator, my goal is going to be to convert it. That's going to be my job. Uh, that's going to be my job. Wow, this so. is the best eschatological conversation I've had in some time right here. <laughs> Mixing in the Terminator, Elon Musk, uh, and Revelation. Um, let me ask one more question because uh, I want to keep you all day here. Um, you mentioned VR, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. VR Church, the idea of that. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in the gathered community. Um, now I, I kind of know what you're going to say based on our conversations already. Uh, but the skeptic or cynic in me might be like, Hey, there's still something to human beings gathered in physical proximity to one another. So when we talk about VR church, even, even virtual church, online churches, we've been experiencing it, uh, for this past year or the pandemic as we're recording this now. Um, w what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, so, um, couple couple things. I think part of it is we need to start thinking about distinctions and verbiage. Uh, so using the word virtual uh, for a Zoom call is not completely inaccurate, but it's not fully what we're doing at this point. So I think we need to make a distinction between digital and virtual. 
Uh, and one of the differences I would say in a truly virtual immersive where you have a headset on at this point uh, and you're in an immersive 3D world is that you are embodied virtually. Uh, so there is a there is a level of embodiment. It's a big deal because uh, in many denominations, they've officiated communion in the digital space. And and there was a big conversation about, you know, can we do this? I think it's a lot easier to have that the the communion because of the understanding of the Holy Spirit's involvement. I think it's a lot easier to have that conversation about the digital in the digital space than it is to talk about baptism, for example. Uh, that's that's a different because I don't think. The church has done the work of talking about what do we think about matter at the quantum level, which I think we have to have that conversation at some point, uh, because I, I it gets into questions of super. I mean, um, we have a superpositionmagazine.com, and the the name superposition comes out of this idea that uh, if you look at matter at a quantum level, particulate matter matter has two states that it holds at once. It it holds the state of a wave and a particle at the same time and scientists don't understand why this is but the thing that blows everyone's mind is when it is observed it takes the state of one or the other okay so you have so it's holding two states at once but when it's observed it takes one state or the other so this is a great way we understand trinitarian theology three in one and we observe and i look at jesus performing miracles for example so uh if Jesus can see the quantum level of something, uh, we see sickness, he sees health, and they're healed because he observes healing into existence. Uh, uh, we see uh, liquid, he sees solid, and he walks on water because he observes it into existence. We see a storm, he sees peace, he observes it into existence. So I think there's a very, there's almost a neo-level matrix conversation to be had at, at, at that level. Uh, so we've not talked about that, but in VR, when you talk about communion, it's very different because it's actually, it's virtual. Uh, so it's embodied. Uh, so you have an embodied presence. So the way I've been doing VR is I actually stream so you see me you see my avatar in the virtual space, you see my uh, present existence in the digital space. So you three, see three versions of me effectively. You know that this version exists on this side of the screen, you see the digital representation of me, and then you see the virtual. And, and we've done digital communion with my church as, as allowed by our denomination. Uh, I've not done sacraments in in virtual because I want to, I think we need to have deeper conversations and kind of like transhumanism, my, my job's not to rock the boat, it's to invite people into the conversation to say, when are we comfortable or are we comfortable having doing these? What I would say is VR is a long way from being done and I think there will become a time when it will be nearly indistinguishable whether you are in VR or whether you are in your current existence. Uh, there'll just be some biological functions that even long-term maybe things that uh, not may not have to address. I mean, we don't typically talk about, uh, you know, will we go to the bathroom in heaven? Uh, I mean, these are like kind of crazy issues, right? But it's things to think about. And, uh, and what does that mean? You know, uh, there's someone's going to, I'm sure there's some PhD dissertation on that somewhere, right? So, uh, but, but I think it's like, as we start to think about virtual communities, I think what we need to think about is, 
the reality is that there are so many people who are disconnected from having the ability to attend a physical church. Uh, and sometimes it's their circumstances. So when I went in and started Church Plus, it's C-H-V-R-C-H-P-L-U-S. Uh, so it's like Humanity Plus, but churchplus.com. Uh, when we started doing that, what we've had was within a month and a half, we had representation from uh, many, many countries and representation from six different continents. Uh, and, and what we found was there were people in China who were sneaking outside the government protocols of what they were allowed to do on the internet to be in VR chat where we were uh, for us to be able to engage in ministry with them. There are people who uh, were caring, they were the primary caregivers for people uh, who had, uh, you know, health issues. And so they did, yeah, so they were stuck at home all the time. They didn't do it. There are people who have disabilities that they don't have the ability to get out. There were people in rural areas that don't have the ability to do it. And so the thing is, is, you know, there are 2.2 billion people in the world now that say that they are actively gamers. Uh, in some capacity, and millions and millions of VR headsets are being sold. For the world to not look into this space, um, you know, is is you know, for the church to not look into this space that is exponentially increasing, is it, kind of us sticking our head in the sand, frankly. And 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 I think uh, so. So part of what we've tried to do is uh, we have a group of uh, uh, pastors now that we are getting together uh, to help them to just show what we know. And then we're also working on uh, some platform related issues to create virtual spaces for churches to be where they have the quality control elements that they might not get from big tech because big tech isn't worried about their interests. And so part of, so we're, so we're doing this as a missional way. So, so if there's people listening to this that say, Hey, I'd love to start a virtual church. What's that? You know, and part of that is um, I think COVID has shown us that, uh, the way we do church is oftentimes overpriced. We put a lot of money on physical spaces. We spend money in ways that we don't necessarily need, but we get stuck into old programs and structures. And and COVID in some ways has been freeing because it's allowed us the excuse uh, to get out of those systems and to say, what do we actually need and what's the best stewardship of our resources? And so the virtual church uh, provides low overhead. Uh, and, and the thing is, is you're going to, and you can't judge a book by its cover because you might have a 40 year old man dressed as an anime girl, uh, you know, uh, in VR and you're like, well, what's that about? You know what I mean? And so you have to actually have a conversation and build a relationship. And there's a lot of things in the institutional church where we do all the right things on paper, but we actually don't build relationships. You can have a kick butt worship service and a lot of people can come through your church and never build a relationship with them. They can give, you can build the empire of the church, uh, but you actually don't ever make a disciple uh, in, in, through that process. That exists. We've seen it exist. And so this forces us actually to get behind what's behind the avatar. Uh, you know, what are the actual needs of the person? And and it forces pastors, frankly, to be vulnerable because um, most pastors are in a space they're not as comfortable in as they're in when they're the, you know, up on the pedestal, frankly, in their local congregation. They, you are, uh, you're a lot closer to, to what Paul was experiences when he, when he's walking into a city that uh, might not welcome him at first. Uh, and trying to build relationships amidst that chaos that's developing. And 
Uh, but I think those are the exactly the spaces we need to be in. Uh, and I think there's a huge missional opportunity for the church here. Uh, I, I would actually say uh, in, in my denomination, we have 120 some presbyteries. And my hope is, is in the next five years, every single one of those presbytery has a new church development that happens in VR. Uh, and I, I can go so far as to say that uh, from a three to five year standpoint, I can show them how to make that self-sustainable too, uh, as far as their overhead. Because uh, ministry doesn't happen overnight. Uh, anybody who thinks that you're gonna build ministry in a, a month, I think is, is, is kidding themselves. Uh, but it takes a good three to five years to see if, how it's gonna work out and pan out. But, uh, but way easier to do it uh, from a technological standpoint. And, and the tools, the good news is the tools are only gonna get better. Uh, you know, Oculus, uh, we had a second iteration of an Oculus within a year and a half. I mean, that is phenomenal rate of speed uh, that, it's, that it's being improved upon. So, so I think that's exciting space for us that we need to be in. And, uh, and I, I enjoy it just because it's, uh, it, it's so fascinating to see how creative people can be when they have mediums uh, to explore their creativity more fully. Uh, and that's the thing about VR is uh, it's not always easy right now for people, but as it's getting easier, the creativity is just unbelievable. Uh, so, and you, you even see this like with kids who play like Minecraft and whatever, you give a kid uh, the ability to build something and, you know, and it used to be from my generations, it was Legos or whatever, you know what I mean? But you, you allow mediums for people to be creative and the things that they can create are unbelievable. And uh, and I think what that speaks to is it speaks to the God who created us, who created beings who can create things that are unbelievable uh, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, expand our imaginations. And so I'm really excited to see what the future of humanity is going to look like, how we're going to experience it, uh, you know, and, and what, a, what a wonderful privilege we, we get to be in an age where we actually see this stuff unfolding before us. Uh, so... Uh, that's, that's, it, it makes me excited to wake up every day and say, well, what are you doing now, God? Wow. This has been an incredible conversation and there's so many more questions I want to ask you, but we're, we're already way over. So, um, let's take a break real quick and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right. We're back with Reverend Dr. Chris Benick and, uh, man, Chris, I'm biting my tongue. Uh, we, <laughs> I am sure you have better things to do today too, but, uh, thanks so much. It's been a really fun conversation. So take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. But if you're Pope for a day, what do you want to do? What's that day look like? Well, I'm I'm in the Reformed tradition, so uh, but I'm married to a Catholic, so I don't know that I would be able to easily outlaw being Pope, and I don't think my wife would l allow me to be Pope. Uh, so uh, so I, I don't know if this question works for me. Uh, I would probably like eliminate the papacy, being a Reformed person, uh, but but I'd have to live with the marital strife that that would uh, it, it, uh, take care of. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna politely no comment on the pope for a day fair enough <laughs> uh, a theologian or historical christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life i would love to bring back max stackhouse uh he was my mentor uh max uh, was a wonderful human being and pretty much ever anyone that uh ever he ever was a mentee for for him um they speak highly of him uh, he was somebody who uh, he knew how to provide me grace when I needed it the most. And there were things 
thing it was and i don't even know if he knew he was doing it he just it was who he was and i was just always admired the fact that uh, at princeton there would always be some student from a developing country that was living in his house because they couldn't afford uh, a housing and nobody knew it except for max and that student and i would go over and see them there and they would be like oh i live here you know and like it's like these quiet things that he and his wife jean did and uh and and i miss him and so uh uh you know and so i don't you know i don't know that i want calvin back right now or whatever I, i think I think he'd really struggle uh, with the way theology has emerged. Some of these reformers, they would be in hot water in our traditions right now. So, <laughs> What do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Uh, I, I, think, I think the church is like on the precipice of this like fantastic renewal right now. Uh, and I think... I just think there's this technological reformation that's happening as we're kind of opening up to a new hermeneutic and understanding of who we are. And I'm just really excited to see how that's going to happen. I, I don't, God doesn't typically give us things the way we anticipate or even want them. And, uh, and if we can learn to kind of live in the, the fluidity of that and the creativity of that, I think it becomes a marvelous thing for us to see how God is weaving weaving things together through us. And uh, and so I, I think I think people will see this as a time where that's happening. And you know, there have been other pandemics, but this one, because of the technological advancement, I think there's an opportunity here. And I think people will remember this as a time where uh, the church really pivoted in some in 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 some critical ways that it needed to that um you know that's that shows how god takes uh our bad situations and turns them into redeeming ones you know it's interesting i'm hearing that a lot from folks about you know like a a third spiritual revolution or or awakening i guess is the word or or those similar type things and just the theme being like it's not going to look like what we're expecting it to look like yeah, I mean, I think I think there's just a sense that something's bubbling, and and we're gonna see it more and more of it. So um, you've kind of alluded to this, but talk uh, if you want to give something else specific about what you hope for, for the future of Christianity. Honestly, I mean, my my prayer is is that um, Thy will be done, uh, and 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 that's uh, anytime I have a vision of something, uh, it's usually rooted in something that's. You know, if it's if it's just me independently, it's not it's just not going to be there. And what I've learned is that uh, if if what I hope for is not hoped for in the plans of God, uh, then ultimately, even though I might think I want it short term, uh, it's not what's good for me long term. And so uh, and I and I think that's the case with humanity. Uh, we struggle with that, uh, but I think part of that is we project all of our baggage onto God. Uh, and we don't understand, we don't understand the grace and the love of, and compassion that God has for us as as God's children. And so, uh, once we start to once we start to understand that, um, you know, I I think, I I think that we'll be able to live more fully into who we are. And uh, and so I I just hope that God's will continues to be done. And you know, hopefully, we'll be prayerful 
uh, enough uh, and, and in community enough to, to help to discern those things together as we, as we build our, uh, the technological future that's, that's coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell folks where they can find out more about you and your work. So uh, we've got a couple websites being redesigned, but you can still go there and still read stuff. So ChristopherBennick.com uh, is my is my personal page. Uh, co-creators uh, with a S Tech CoCreatorsTech.com is where you can read more about co-creators. Uh, Church Plus is C H V R C H P L U S.com. And uh, we write about, and Lauren, you'd be a great person to write for Superposition or even to have your podcast posted on Well, we're going to talk more about that offline. Yeah, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be great. But, uh, but superpositionmagazine.com uh, is a place where uh, we, we kind of use that hermeneutic of tech to raise questions with people and to think about uh, who we are uh, made in the image of God in this uh, technologically emerging world. So. Uh, those are those are a bunch of places, but I'm all over the place. Social media, uh, you can find me. Uh, Twitter. Facebook, we didn't mention all those this. We, we we talked about this pre-recording. Daily Show. Find him. Interview on the Daily Show. Is yeah, that still live yeah, somewhere? Right. Yeah, somewhere it's out there. Yeah, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of press, and there's probably there's probably still a bunch of those links on my personal page if people go and look. So. Well, Chris, this has been so much fun. So thanks so much for your time, and uh, may God's peace be with you. Thank you for having me. Blessings. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is produced by Torn Curtain Arts in partnership with Resonate Media. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit futurechristian.com. If you've enjoyed the show and you think it would be valuable for others to hear, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That really helps more people find us. Thanks again and go in peace.